This is episode 27, Blaze Your Own Trail. I'm Katie McBratney, and I've never fit neatly into any kind of boxes. And that's been not just the story of my career, but the story of my life and what led me to find the idea of Own Trail so compelling and to actually decide to co-found it. I tell people I'm a recovering marketer as one way of talking about what I've done in my professional field, but I've held so many different roles. My first job after college was at a zoo. I've worked in higher education, spent six years in the agency world. I've worked at early stage startups from roadside assistance all the way to independent film and now our own platform, which is kind of like a life OS, if you will, at Own Trail. But I'm a lot more than that. I think we're all a lot more than our resumes. I'm also a parent. I'm, I'm also a visual artist. I'm a borderline book hoarder. I love horror movies. I love cheeseburgers. I've moved across the country three times, most recently to Atlanta, without ever having spent time here, into a home that I purchased sight unseen. So in a way, I don't fit into boxes and I don't follow all the rules, but it works for me. And my, my life aspiration, ultimately, my dream job that maybe one day when I retire will be to be a jungle cruise skipper at Disneyland and just ride in a boat all day, making people smile by telling the best dad joke puns. And it's a, it's a job that I, I wouldn't take for granted. Amazing. Katie McBratney, such an honor to have you on the Language of Creativity podcast. So good to be here. We know each other through Jennifer Fisher, episode two. If you haven't heard it, go back to the very, very scroll, the very, very beginning, very, very, very beginning of the feed. Um, we were still learning what we were doing and listen to one of the most amusing humans on the planet share about her life and work. And that's how I knew I would like you. When, when yeah. it was through Jen, I was like, done. We're friends. Aw. Hope that's okay with you. Yeah, Jen is one of those people who is just a born community builder. And I found Own Trail through Jen, and she found you through Seed and Spark, which she was always talking about as a filmmaker. You know, Seed and Spark is a crowdfunding platform that's aimed specifically at filmmakers who are trying to disrupt spaces in a positive way. And so can you tell me a little bit more about how you have worked with Jen? We were talking a little bit before we started about how you've only met her virtually, but it feels like you've met in person. <laughs> so true. Yes. I mean, we could make this whole episode like a love letter to Jen Fisher and it would be so deserved and also not enough for what a wonderful human she is on every level. Um, but yeah, I met her when I was working at Seed and Spark and I was their chief marketing officer really working to support independent filmmakers and independent creators of all kinds, build sustainable careers and really build careers on their terms in a creative industry that's stacked against them, right? Everything from retaining IP to getting paid to having health insurance, um, mm -hmm. all of the things. And that's how I met Jen through her work that she did and does as a filmmaker and was just wowed by that. And as I left Seed and Spark to found Own Trail at the, it was in beginning of 2020. So it was like we launched right before the pandemic. What? No way. Yeah. Like, like so if I looked at your bio, it's February <laughs> of 2020. And then you said three weeks before you launched this whole new enterprise three weeks before the pandemic 
hit. Yeah. We could not have predicted that. It was not on any of our bingo cards. Um, We were actually, I was based in Seattle at the time with my co-founder. And that's kind of, I don't know if people remember, but at the beginning, that's where it was all originally unfolding was like, what's happening in Seattle? We'll watch it. So it felt like a one of the ground zeros in some ways. Uh, and we were like, that's fine. My my co-founder was like leaving a 15 career, 15 year career at Zillow where she'd been a vice president for many years. I was leaving Seed and Spark. We had these transition plans, right? Like that whole line about make God like make plans and God laughs. A thousand percent <laughs> true. Um, because, you know, as for all of us overnight, like the world changed, but I wouldn't have changed it for the world in, in building own trail at that time. Right. So fortunately, like a lot of people in my extended communities through Seed and Spark, through just my life, when I shared what we were building and I was like, look, like we're all so much more than our resumes. Social media perfect is killing us. Like this is a place where you can bring all of you and stop being like telling your story in the box of personal or professional. We're performing it right for like the algorithms. And Jen Mm. was one of those first people who was like, I, I believe in you. I'm going to check this out. And the fact that she's become such an advocate for own trail and really pushed us to be better and to grow and holds us up to stand by our values means, means the world. But yeah, 2022, like to be able to provide some kind of support as we were all in our own version of a pressure cooker yes. is something that will always mean a lot to me. So what is Own Trail for people who haven't come across Own Trail yet? Explain what it is. In short, you could say like Own Trail is a social platform to help you achieve your next milestone in life. And it's all centered around this idea of trails, which are these visualizations of your life journey that you build out of milestones that are both personal and professional. So you get to go in and you get to choose what matters to you? What, what's made you who you are? Past, present, and aspirational. So of course, trails span, they include things like getting a job, meeting a partner, graduating from college, those things that you, you kind of expect to be life milestones, right? But there's also so much space and I'm constantly wowed by what people share that are milestones that don't have an easy home other place or Mm -hmm. get kind of carved out in the, in service of professionalism or acceptability or safety. So we have people on there sharing everything from abortions to mental health challenges. Mm. My trail has like three milestones for burnout in case anybody (laughs) wants to track a trend. (laughs) Present. (laughs) Too real. Right. But like, I can't talk about that on LinkedIn. Like no. you can't put that on your resume. Like I was fucking burnt out. Like <laughs> a resume is a selling document, right? Um, and you really get to build it and, and and treat it like a living document of your journey and like reflecting on things that happen. Because like meeting your partner, that's a fixed event. But what that means to you changes over time, right? And so like yeah. allowing that space to reflect on who we are, where we really want to go in life. And then being able to figure out how to get there. And that's what Own Trail does. And so we've got lots of different tools to do that on the platform. Um, one of my favorite is a help beacon, which is like mm-hmm. a personal bat signal. So anything <laughs> you're working on, you can just like tap into the community and be like, yo, I need something. And people show up. Yeah. And it's 
incredible to see. And that's really the purpose of what we're doing is that if everybody can live the life that they really want, a full life, blaze their own trail, right? So to speak, it doesn't just serve the individual. The world is better. 100%. And being able to see the paths that like, like podcasting, like I think your podcast and your milestone on this is such an inspiration because there are people who are like, I want to start a podcast. I, I don't, I don't know what to start, but they can look at how you, how this is like factors into your creative journey, your life journey, and mm-hmm. they see different possibilities and they go, oh, if I have a question, I know there's a, one more person that I can turn to. Well, the podcast was huge for me because I was in this period of time where I was reformulating my business around this idea that my market had less dollars to work with than I needed to get paid in a salary. So it was like, okay, how can I scale back what I'm doing from a whole record to like, you know, hey, an hour, let me help you learn how to make your own record. That's what I was doing at the time. And uh, we were working on a project, me and the first guest from the podcast, and I was like kind of... I was kind of burnt out on editing, which was a thing that I'm really good at. And I do a lot and it takes a lot of time. And so we were supposed to edit some guitars. And I was like, hey, I've been thinking about this idea for a while. And I said to my friend, I was like, hey, do you before we go in, do you want to record a podcast? So it was kind of like this form of procrastination. It was very creative, like a positive form of procrastination. And what it did was it allowed me, I've been thinking about starting a podcast for a long time. And it was like, well, there's so many facets of me. I don't know how to tie them all together into a cohesive, you know, market. As you know, as a marketing person, you have to have a clear message. And so I'm like, well, you know, I'm into spirituality, but I don't really tell anybody about that. So if I talk about that, I'd be kind of low key. And, you know, I'm also into, I'm very, I'm into, you know, a lot of TED Talks and thought work and things like that. I'm just into life and questions. And at the same time, like, um, I really, you know, I work with a lot of artists and, you know, so I, a little of this, little of that. And in the first three minutes of the podcast, my friend Adam's like, you know, so what do you want the show to be about? And he's like, why don't you call it the language, the language of, uh, how about the language of creativity? And literally in the first like minute and a half of the show that the show name like channeled through to (laughs) us. And that was it. It was the commonality between everything we were doing. And so all these ideas of transcendence and art and, you know, uh, personal growth and all these things were, were threaded together, which makes perfect sense to me now through the idea of creativity. And the, really my secret working hypothesis of the, of the show is that we are all creatives. Every single one of us, it doesn't matter if we're cooking, it doesn't matter if we're painting, it doesn't matter if we're in the boardroom, it doesn't matter if we're raising kids, there's creativity in all of it. And that is I what I believe is like the divine spark, if you want to call it, or if you're atheist, that's what's emerging from humanity in the sense of like, we have this agency to say, hmm, what do we want to make? And we and impact our environment. How do, how are we going to use that? You know? And so I love that we get to explore that on the show. And I love that you mentioned that as one of the beacons, because it really was a, a huge turning point for me professionally and personally, not just because I'm networking with people that I'm talking to, but also I'm sharing bits of myself. And, and in that process of coming out, the process of sharing with the world who I am and what I'm about and what interests me, I'm realizing the ability to make an impact on others and to share by even by sharing their stories, by helping to give other people a voice 
for their own experiences. And that's and then the people who listen resonate with that and they say, oh, I could have a voice too. And that's what I love about Own Trail is this idea of you're seeing someone else's path and it's giving you a validation of your own path. And yes. so, um, yeah. And now one of the things that I was curious about was because originally when you founded Own Trail, it was specifically for women. Mm-hmm. And recently you've launched a new platform and you've opened it up for all genders. And so I was curious a little bit about that. Yes. Um, and I was also, because I like to tangent, I was also going to throw in there one of the other podcasters on the platform actually told me that they're not on any other form of social media. They don't do Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of that stuff, but is starting a podcast and is just on own trail. So like you're like a special, more like exclusive and safe form of social media. Um, so I just wanted to mention that as we're talking about community building. So I got chills um, and not because I don't see a place for those other platforms. I mean, I could go on a soapbox about legacy social media. That's a whole, that's a whole nother episode and possibly, you know, that's, that's a spiel. Um, but they don't serve the same purpose. Like we're not in the eyeballs business. We're not monetizing people's life experiences for ads. Right. And so like fundamentally we're a different business, but I mean, we bake inclusivity and safety into like, it's funny. I just, we had an all, all hands meeting and we're a small team. Um, I think there are seven of us. It's so funny. I don't think of numbers. I just think of people's names. And I just reminded people, I was like, our values are all of our jobs. And I love that you guys live that, that you yeah. like think about safety when you're coming up with a feature idea or when we're talking about potential marketing campaigns, we don't just throw things out there and just assume we assume the best, but we kind of plan for the worst, right? Because there's harm out there in the world. And especially when people can bring their authentic selves and be vulnerable, we want to make sure that they're as safe as we can, as we can make it. So absolutely, you just made, you just made my week with that, my year probably. Aww. Um, yeah. And the gender thing is really interesting, right? So like I'm non-binary and I've been socialized and live most of my life, like, you know, through the lens of, of being a woman kind of on that gender binary. And we were intentionally focused on women. And of course, like you can't, you can't exclude any gender from any product or service. Like number one, that's illegal. Number two, that's like anti-inclusive. And we were still centered on women for a reason. It's because as a, as a, as a category, right? Like if we're trying, I'm so against labels and categories, but we need them as humans to make sense of this chaotic world. Yeah. Um, but there's so much data and there's so many anecdotes and there's just evidence abound that most of the world was not designed from a feminine perspective. 100%. And I say feminine, not limited to gender, right? Or, or at all to sex, right. um, but from feminine ideals, right? Abundance, um, collectivism, things mm-hmm. like that. There's a wonderful book, Sidebar, that I think you would love uh, called Proposals for a Feminine Economy. It is beautifully designed. It is absolutely written in the language of creativity. Um, highly recommend, cannot recommend that book enough. And if you compare Own Trail to say like LinkedIn, LinkedIn's objective, you want to look as good as possible so you can either get a job, mm-hmm. get promoted, be viewed as 
top of your field or a top company or boss that people want to work with you, right? It's, yeah. it's outcome oriented. Um, Facebook, any, any app with a public like counter, right? right. It's all about winning. It's a zero sum game. You want to be the most popular. You want to make, you want to make the, you want to make the feed. You want to be featured, even Kickstarter. You know, like when I worked in crowdfunding with like Seed and Spark, we'd often get asked like, okay, but how do I get on the front page? Uh Right? Like our society is so conditioned. Like how do we win? Right. And we wanted to design own trail inherently differently from a product experience, but also as we brought the community into it, because we're not building for people, we're building with them. Mm-hmm. And by anchoring it in a female space that is very intersectional in life experiences and identities, it creates these rules of engagement that are different than platforms that are built by and marketed primarily to white, straight, cis, Christian men. Right. right, kind of that prototypical um, dominant culture. And so over time, like we knew we would always expand in a way without losing that centered space. And so when we made the decision to publicly, explicitly welcome and invite people of all genders, um, we just had to know it was the right time to keep that integrity that we had built with our community in, because the second you take that, you know, it's at jeopardy. It's not even just about losing those folks. It just changes the dynamic of everything. And what we've found since opening it up, um, is that, you know, the men who, who have joined, they actually have been looking for a place like this Yeah, because toxic masculinity, like it hurts us all. The patriarchy hurts us all. And it's not just about following the rules of engagement, but like it's welcome. They needed this breath of fresh air. They wanted something differently because the systems at play aren't serving us. So that's my long-winded way of like, it's systemic. We needed to serve women first. And also it's not just any one group. 100%. And as a male who very much benefits from the space that you've created and has been looking for a space like that, the, if you're a male who needs a more masculine space where you can race cars and shoot guns and all that kind of stuff, there already are those spaces, okay? So the point is to try and create safety for those who haven't had representation, who haven't had a place to connect and to be together. It's really important that we start to embody that sense of Collective well-being. I think that's one of the things that's missing from our society is the balance of the, I think what you, what you represented as this non-competitive ethos. Like when you mentioned help beacons, you mention actually this, this thing that I see is very common. You know, I see Jennifer as someone who's living this, right? Like you come into a a place and you see the other people there and you say, okay, how can we weave together? How can we be together? How can we enhance our lives together and do life in community? And that to me is a, it's a more, it's not really only exclusive to the feminine value, but it is a more feminine value. It is part of community building and family making and just it's so needed in our world because I think something that modern history has done is isolate us. 
If you think about going to work, we all get in our garages, <laughs> shut the door to our car, get on a road with thousands of people that we'll never interact with, and we're in competition with them for, you know, who's going to go in the lane first, and we're racing to work to get there on time, and then we got to meet our quotas, and we got to go home and, you know, shut the door, shut the garage door before the neighbors see us, right? You know, and it's so disconnected, it's so isolating, and it's so lonely. And then you go online where you're just hiding behind an avatar and it's it's like you're connecting, but you're not actually connecting. And so we just went through this great experience where suddenly we couldn't go be in person with people and that timed out with the launch of your company. So I think somehow you almost launched at exactly the right time. So you have the tool is online. The community is, is now only online, but you're trying to build a community that actually fosters the sense of connection and holistic wellness that is using an online tool. Yeah. It's I, when you brought up the cars, it just brought me flashbacks of my life in LA. And I would tell people that the best and worst thing about LA, and I love LA, like on the record, full stop. The best and worst thing about LA is that no one gives a shit, right? <laughs> Which it means you're free, like to do whatever. If you want to bring your parrot to the restaurant, there's, you know, I remember that happening on multiple occasions at this one place in Venice Beach. A guy's just like, he just would bring his parrot, this macaw. Um, like, great. <laughs> You do you, but also when you're sitting in your car, we're all together in our loneliness, together in our individualism. And yeah. what I love about what the community has done with Help Beacons is, yes, they're asking for help, which is hard, which, you know, people from underrepresented and oppressed identities are often penalized for just asking for help. Um we're giving permission to ask for help or support, but we're also making it easy for people to give help. And sometimes that help takes specific forms. Like I'm looking for guests for my podcast, or I'm interested in breaking into tech, whatever they've, they right. range from literally and whatever you could think of. And sometimes it's like a direct answer. Like, Oh, I had made that same pivot. Um, or I know somebody who'd be perfect for your show. I love it. I've listened to it. And sometimes it's people who are like, I'm on the same journey. I don't have an answer, but I'll ride with you. Or sometimes mm. it's somebody saying, I don't have an answer. I don't know X, but I see you. And I'm, I'm rooting for you. And that's missing a lot of the times, especially online, because it is so gamified. It's so quantified. And the, what I think the power of Own Trail is, is really like it's about authenticity. It's about inclusion. It's about curiosity, right? You mm -hmm. can be curious. Like how did Steven get to here? And <laughs> you're in control of how and what you share that with whom, right? Instead yeah. of having to like prove that, to prove yourself. And that's an innate, like when you were talking about like, you know, like how you came to the podcast to begin with this natural creativity, I think comes from also this innate curiosity that we have as humans and those come together. Yeah. Um, in a meeting earlier today with our team, I was like, we got to remember everything is made up. Like one day someone was like, what if I crush this wood with water and let it dry flat? And they made paper. Yeah. Like it's everything is made up. That's, that's, she's talking about paper, by the way. Yes. Paper. Yeah. 
and exactly that, exactly 100% that. And we live in this world that's made up of the artifacts that humans have decided mean stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I it like all to comes say, from create, it was all, it's all been written in creativity. One of my favorite sayings is money is pretend. It's Do not, not even get me started on my feelings about <laughs> speculative wealth and speculative value because it breaks my brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but somebody made this up, but it's also real and it rules the world. And those yeah. two things at once. And and that's the that's the healing work that needs to be done because if we can replace our idea of money with value and understand <sighs> how do we create value for each other, like we are in this conversation, we're exchanging value by sharing this love that we have for this topic and these the, these thoughts. And we're also creating value for the listeners by sharing. And I'm creating value for, for you by sharing own show with my listeners. And you're creating value for me by sharing what you have to share. And that is the truth of nature. The and truth lo- of nature... Yeah, that's absolutely. It's like, it's about value. And we're so used to transactional natures where like it is this quid pro quo. And it's like, well, you can be on my podcast if you do X, Y, and Z, instead of saying like, I think we're going to vibe on this. Yeah. Let's go with it. And letting the value create itself and, and reveal itself. And I think that that's ultimately what we see on own trail and what I love. Like we could not have engineered this, you know, we do our best to foster it and and to create an environment for this to grow and thrive and occur. But it is like a collective. It is a state of abundance. It's a place where people don't connect to network in that shallow way of like going to an event and you have an hour to collect as many business cards as possible, which is my idea of hell. Um, but instead you can like, you can like connect it. I think about it as like back in the day when you'd have your, like your neighborhood cafe or bar or whatever kind of your third place was, you can be a regular and build relationships and get into really deep stuff or just Mm. like keep somebody abreast of what you're working on. Like, Hey, how is that going? How can I help you with that project? Just checking in, right? That camaraderie. Or how can I validate you by listening about your project? Yes, by that giving too. you permission to talk about it and honor it. But yeah. then it's also people like, you know, sometimes people have more one-off conversations, but I think trails are a way to meet somebody, to connect with people, to connect with yourself, to cut through the noise, to cut through mm-hmm. the small talk and like be like, what does this person really value? And and knowing what somebody values and giving them space to share what they value creates more value. Not transactions. Wow. 100%. Yes, it can. It can lead to capitalism, sure. But it's rooted in value first, like capital V value, which I think you put so well. Well, not to belabor this point, but like when I went to networking groups, what I realized was that I had to provide value in an exchange. And so when when I would talk to someone at a networking event, I would ask them, something that was important to them. Like, what are you about? Like, what are you working on? What are you excited about? Because I was giving, allowing that person to share their value with me. And then if I saw a connection or someone that I could connect them with, I would always try and make a positive connection with, so, oh, you should know so-and-so. I think this is valuable for you. And that's the way to share value is to add value and not just to see how you can extract value from the situation. And that was really important to me because when I learned to do that, 
Um, then I realized the times where it actually was someone actually did want to hear about what I had to share. And if they didn't, that's okay. I wouldn't try and force it on them. And I think we're in this culture that's so disconnected from ourselves and each other. And so we are trying to just like talk past the person and say, no, 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 here's my website. No, 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 here's my thing. You know, you need to, you know, go check this out without any sense for like, well, what is being exchanged? What is that person getting back from this exchange? Are they getting value from what I'm giving them? And that's so important. We can tangent on marketing later. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to ask you about burnout. Ooh. Because that is such a big part of your trail. And like you said, it's it's a part that you don't get to share on LinkedIn, but it does change your path. It does it did alter your course multiple times. So can you share? I'm happy yeah. to. And I will say this, preface this with that I am the expert of my own experience with burnout. And that's what I can speak to. Um, and I'm happy to do it, especially because of how glamorized hustle and grind culture is um, and burnout as part of that, like busyness and also burnout being considered badges of honor, right? Like a form of paying our dues in this society. Like you haven't worked hard enough and, or you don't deserve your thing unless you've suffered. Mm-hmm. And I fundamentally don't agree with that. And I haven't for some time if I ever truly believed it, right? But it's internalized. Um, and for me, I, I hope that me being open about my different experiences with burnout, specifically related to my career, right? It's always been connected to the work I do. Helps somebody if it's just feeling seen, if it's giving them permission to think or share about their own story, then to me, it's absolutely worth it because it's such a, it's such a known yet under misunderstood or under understood um, phenomenon. We all know what we're talking about with burnout, but it takes so many different forms, which is true for me personally. And it's kind of like thinking of pain, right? Like how do we measure pain in humans? Well, we kind of have these Mm. scales in a clinical medical setting, but like, it's also like colors. Like, how do I know if I say this is cyan blue, you're seeing the exact shade as me. I think burnout is very similar. We can try to describe it, but it's- It ends up being a subjective scale that often we aren't honest with ourselves about. And for me, that's where it started to heal. Yeah, we get numb to it. And I think that's how it it repeats itself. (laughs) I think it's important to mention that, you know, that you are a very successful- like your resume reads like a very successful person in the corporate world. You were a chief marketing officer. You ran marketing departments. Uh, you just kind of like run us through the LinkedIn of some of the roles that you've had. Yeah, I've been vice president and general manager of an ad agency, vice president of client services. Uh, obviously, now I'm a co-founder, head of PR and brand. Uh, now, man, this is like a quiz. It's like, do I even know? I haven't made a resume in years. Does it show? Um, uh, well, but that's the thing. Like I do yeah. this, I, I do these, these journey mapping workshops, which are absolutely like one of my favorite thing about my job. And I started by showing people, I'm like, you look at my LinkedIn, you like Google me. You might think of my life as this like up into the right straight line, like college, promotions, awards, large network, these titles. And it looks like all I've had is wins. 
Right. But you need the truth. Like it's <laughs> a lot messier than that. Yeah. And it didn't feel right just to show that because I've never experienced it just as a series of linear wins and linear progressions up and to the right. And I don't think anybody's life follows that archetype. It's kind of this, this myth that there's one single right path or that some people live this just like completely perfect life. It's just this pretty lie that keeps us all hustling. Yeah, I think that's so important to mention that that it does. It looks like this like straight line, but what you don't see is the tears. You don't see the missed time with your child. You don't see the fights with your spouse. You don't see the the question marks of like these big moves that you made across the country from from city to city and what how much of an impact it takes how much energy it takes to move house, to move city, to all those things. Um, you mentioned a miscarriage on your trail. Yeah. And that's and that a huge impact. Three weeks, four weeks before I was suddenly laid off. Which oh, like those wow. two events back to back is it's really interesting, right? Because I couldn't it's not like any of us can do this. We get very skilled at compartmentalizing and sometimes it's absolutely necessary. It protects us. It helps us. I'm not, I'm not knocking compartmentalization. However, full compartmentalization isn't healthy or sustainable or serving us. And, um, so I was like, yeah, I, I had this pregnancy loss. And then a few weeks later went in and I was like, gonna do my day, la la la. I'm really good at my job, which I was, it wasn't performance related. And then left an hour later being like, well, I guess I'm on the job hunt. But that didn't, like I was experiencing both of those simultaneously. And I think so much the fragmentation that you already mentioned in our culture and certainly online um, has those things existing in silos when they're never siloed within ourself. And even if you're not actively thinking about it, you know, we know scientifically how the body stores trauma. We know about different parts of our brain through neuroscience, like we are still our full selves all of the time. And so it felt actually quite freeing for me to be able to be like, this is the real deal, you all. And not like I felt like I was faking it or it wasn't authentic to share what's on my resume or to share what's on my LinkedIn. It's just those were meant for different objectives. But I wanted, and, I, and I'm grateful that I have a place where I can be like, this is really what it looks like. And aside from just like the struggles, the obstacles in that journey, in addition to the accomplishments, what about the other things like the path that's not taken? What about when I change my mind on something, right? When you decide right. you want a goal and you then decide you don't want you don't want it anymore. Or also the other things that kind of enrich our lives and make us these multifaceted humans. I I, I tell people, I'm like, I am drawn to people who aren't afraid to go deep. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean you, you know, you can't talk about some Bravo show or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, aren't afraid to go deep, but most of the time, the way I can tell that pe- someone is my people is if they have a lot of ands in their life, uh-huh. because to me that indicates not a level of, not necessarily a level of creativity or skill or accomplishment. To me, it is them acknowledging their own complexity and their own authentic yeah. self. Um, instead of trying to fit into a, keep themselves within a mold. And like, so when I first met you, I was like, and, uh-huh, and, uh-huh. <laughs> Dad and a music producer and a coach and, and, and. 
Yes. And, and kind of like when you're talking about starting the podcast, letting those ands kind of feed each other, it it creates some synchronicity. It creates opportunity. And it also, you know, not to believe, not to belabor this point, but it creates value, right? Like it enriches our lives instead of us constantly having to context shift. We can be like, oh yeah, I like that idea. Maybe I will share that with this person I musically collaborate with and see where it goes. You don't have to gatekeep yourself. Ecology, I'm taking a course from the Buckminster Fuller Institute, and we're about to do a deep dive into averting the climate crisis. And I admittedly know zero about that. And that's what excites me because I'm finding that I'll have a conversation with someone in the grocery store and they'll be like, you know, I really want to do something with sustainability. And they haven't heard about the work of John D. Liu, who was in Kiss the Ground, who they have camps that go and people will actually restore desertified landscapes and return the greenery that like helps the water table replenish itself. And I'll say that, or have you watched Kiss the Ground? No, what's that? And I'll be like, well, here you go. And it's like, I don't have to be knowledgeable in that field to like cross paths with people in all these different areas. And that's what I love about creativity. That's what I love about being generous with ideas is that we all have something to learn from each other. And it's cross pollination, right? Like, I think we can take so much inspiration from nature in sustainability, right? Not just like environmental sustainability, but like organism and societal stability, right? Like collectivism via mycelium networks, dandelions, like there's so many inspirations there. And, um, just this idea that like cross pollination, like that's, yes, you can plan it for a certain outcome and it might not be what you get. And also you can just let, like my, my, my kid says, leave nature to nature. (laughs) She said that and like my brain broke a little because I was like, that is the most profound thing I've said. Then I asked her to explain it and she was like, nature belongs here and we're a part of it. Our job isn't to mess with it. And I was like, oh, perfect. I was like, how did, thank you. Where did you learn that? Because like, <laughs> wow. I didn't ever say that. She just never forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> you were just, now you're just dropping truth. So I was sitting here waiting for you to get on the call. And so I pick up this book that I got at the Crystal Store, which is um, not a necessarily, you know, it's a book about music. It's by Victor Wooten. And it's called The Music Lesson, A Spiritual Search for Growth Through Music. And so I often, when I'm sitting here in the studio, sometimes just like to turn to a certain page and see what comes up. And so this little passage says, He led me to a bench on the far end of the lake. Listen, he whispered, as he quietly sat down. We sat in silence for a time, listening to the chorus of crickets, frogs, and other insects that filled the air. The sounds were mesmerizing and lulled me into a trance until Michael spoke. Pay attention to how the animals are listening to each other, he instructed. I hadn't noticed it before, but the animals did seem to be listening to each other. It sounded like the different species were taking turns singing. When the animals did speak on top of each other, they did so in a different register. 
It was like listening to a well-orchestrated masterpiece. I was enjoying the music until an airplane flew overhead, causing all the animals to become silent. After the sound of the plane faded, the animals attempted to restart their chorus. It took a while for them to get back in sync, as if each musician wasn't quite sure when to come back in. There's a species of frog, Michael stated, that uses their unison chorus for survival. When they speak together, they sound like a much larger animal. Unnatural sounds, like that airplane, break up their unity. And when they try to join back in, one by one, they are picked off and eaten by predators. Because of that, some species of frogs are becoming extinct. It goes unnoticed by most people. We have forgotten, as a species, how to listen. Ooh. Ugh, so many things. Like I, I could see that scene as you were as you were reading it, and like how profound and how much how much knowledge is constantly around us. That's what's that's what's that passage was a reminder of in like in, in aggregate to me. Is like there is there are lessons, there is wisdom all around us all the time, and like our our human brains are just like so distracted and so geared to focus just on ourselves when like, we just got to stop sometimes. And I was talking about this morning with my co-founder and I was like, yes, achieving your next something is a really powerful part of own trail. And also there's lots of productivity apps, which we're not, but there's lots of things out there, right. To help you do more. And what's powerful is like with own trail, we're giving you permission and like an invitation to listen to yourself and listen to the songs of others and the collective sound, right? And like the solidarity that's there and just hearing your voice in chorus is so powerful. And then the airplanes, like, wow, what are the airplanes, right? That are disrupting our unity, our solidarity right now and, mm-hmm. and allowing us to get picked off by burnout and, you know, so Isolation. Many, like, yes, Loneliness, suicide, um, systemic racism, yeah, food injustice, yes, yeah, uh, uh, you know, economic hardship. It's what mm. I'm in right now, and you know, it's funny because I was thinking about the fact that I was going to talk to you, and I wanted to talk to you as soon as possible because I'm literally applying for jobs right now. How, are, how and, does it feel? Well, it's actually. Uh, it's it's complicated because when I I've been self-employed my whole career and I love it, but there's challenges to it as well. And it's just sort of been what I've been living. And uh, I'm not even 100 percent convinced that I'm going to find a job. I think I'd be happy with enough accounts that would equal a salary. That's what I realized. I'm actually looking for a salary. 
but my company mm. needs to pay me. That's that's what I've learned. But what was encouraging was my wife started finding jobs online. When I looked 20 years ago, when I looked 12 years ago for jobs, there were not any jobs for creative people. I was the square peg in the round hole. I was the guy who might as well have been a skipper captain for the uh, Jungle Boat cruise on my resume. And it was really discouraging. And this time around, I found that Daniel Pink's book, uh, A Whole New Mind, which predicted that creative jobs are the wave of the future, was true. And it's actually what is happening. I see so many roles now for creatives and composers and people who know how to manage creative teams and a lot of the things that I'm already doing. And so suddenly it was like my feeling of value whether or not that any of these places are hiring me, the fact that I could actually have jobs that I, that sounds like fun. I know how to do that. I might enjoy that day at work. That part has been really inspiring to me. And I think that's given me a whole new life, even within my own business to understand that what I do has value, that people are looking for it, that it's not just, oh, you know, get a side job, get a day job, you know, go, go be an account. Oh, I should have been a doctor. I should have been an accountant. You know, that's what we're used to hearing. Now I'm starting to see that actually that's not such a good idea anymore. And for people not to knock those fields, but it's like the, the creatives, the softs, the people who have the soft skills, those are the people who are in demand now. And I'm a soft skill person. And that excites me that that's being valued now, that it, people are starting to awaken to that. So, yes, that's that's part of it. The other thing that happened was um, the stress was so much of finishing. I finished basically what happened was as I finished one of the best albums I've ever produced in my whole career. It's critically acclaimed. It's doing really well. But we did it for almost no money. So and then we moved house like in the middle of this. We're, we're buying a house in the height of the market. It was exactly what needed to happen. But here I am with this financial shortfall after, you know, basically burning out. I mean, I worked for 10 months straight to do this. And it was like having a second job, which was moving. And so I ended up in the hospital for high blood pressure from the stress of not being able to pay my credit card off every month because of the stress of simultaneously needing to take a month off, which really I should have after the 10 months of recording that I did and the moving and this Herculean effort, but not actually giving myself the permission to take two to four weeks off because I was like, I have people on my staff I need to engage. I have projects that I haven't finished that need to get done. You know, financially, I have to really keep going or else. And guess what happened? I ended up in the hospital and it sort of was interesting how it made me disconnect from the side where I was like, okay, like literally I cannot afford to worry about what's next. It was this moment where my daughter, I would come back from the emergency room. My daughter, who's three, says to me, Daddy, I thought you were never coming home. Oh. And I just cried. And um, it was like, okay, well, I know that I'm in process and I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing and that my higher power is looking after me and that I'm in tune and that I'm doing the best work of my life. So the best thing I can do right now is be present in my new place that I love so much with my family who I love infinitely and just be who I am and just keep going, you know, keep finding, okay, what is this new thing for me? I don't get to know right now. I get to uncover that inside myself. 
And that's been the process that I've been at, you know, just learning about where is it already? Where is where are there already connections in my life that I haven't been engaging with because I've been so laser focused on the doing and opportunities that are there? And where is it that I am really passionate about? You know, like I really had to consider, am I going to keep doing music? There's really not much money in the side of the business that I've been in. You know, uh, most, yeah, I think it was uh, probably 999 out of a thousand artists don't actually earn their money back for putting recording in, you know, for recording. And then that top 0.1% is making tons of money. It's a very, very, you know, Hollywood kind of situation. Um, But I love it. And, but I don't love it. Which parts do I not love? Which parts do I still love? You know, what would it take for me to still want to do that? What would it take for me financially to still want to do that? Like what kind of record budget would I need? What would I need to get paid for me to take another 10 months of my life, which is now compressing as I get into my middle age? You know, I, wow, my time's really valuable. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, what would I need to get paid? to do that. And that ups my value, my perception of my own value. And then realizing, you know, I really like working in these spaces like podcasting, where I can share ideas and really make an impact in the world. What if that's what I'm meant to be doing? What if there's some other space, you know, and and really just examining these things within myself has helped me to know myself better, to expand the idea of what I could be searching for and also, paradoxically, to narrow it down at the same time. It's like, what is your yes? What is your full yes. body yes? What is, is, what is exciting? What is going to bring joy to my life and therefore, by extension, to my children and my wife and my family, my community, and ultimately to the people I'm working with? Because that's one of the things that I'm realizing is that having joy in what you do is the ripple that affects everyone around you in your community. It, it's like what you said at the beginning. It's like we could all be doing something that matters to us and we would have a different world. Yes. Wow. First of all, thank you. Thank you for sharing that not with me and, and for everyone who will be listening because that, that story and that just the authentic self is just amazing. And I'm like, where to even dive in, right? And where you were talking about the beginning about like creative work being valued now and being sought after, I think is, is reflecting some changes that technology brought about, right? And also I think it's, it's for people who work in creative ways, right? Like there, there's definitely like musicians, artists, writers, people always label you as a creative photographers, art directors, of course, but much to the point of this entire podcast, creative creativity is in sight of all of us. We're all creative in our own ways, but these traditional creative disciplines, I think people are recognizing skill and expertise versus, um, capability, right? I I could say, compare it to social media. Social media strategy is a skill, is a proficiency, is a, is an X field of expertise. It's an art and a science, much like music editing and recording and producing. And it's like saying, because you can play row your boat on ukulele, it's different than being a music, a professional music producer, (laughs) just like being able to, you know, type 140 characters into Twitter is not the same as being able to be 
you know, top of your field, social media. To strategize yeah. on an entire brand campaign through social media tools and scheduling. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that there's a shift in people recognizing that there it's a spectrum of skill and ability and perspective and craft. And I think it also means that people are valuing them because they can't do it. Um, obviously the, the rise and the democratization that tech has brought about for content creation for better or for worse, right? We can make a case every way. Better. I remember what it was like in 1998 when I was making my own movies and there was no YouTube. So I stopped making movies that I was just 10 years behind, uh, 10 years ahead. (laughs) Distribution. Yeah. Distribution, right? Like building an audience, all of that. Um, the tools are out there. Movements are happening. But also I think that it's created jobs. It's created, you know, the entire creator economy. It's it's allowed people to find love of filmmaking early and translate that into paid brand work to directing commercials, whatever. And I think it's because some people are like, I need this and I can't do it. And I don't have mm-hmm. the time to learn how to become an expert. And I think to me, it's as somebody who believes in the ands of people. And I love the paradox that you brought up because I was thinking <laughs> it as you were talking. It's this idea that by by saying no or by, um, I like to think of it in terms of like letting go of what doesn't serve us yes. and focusing on what does. And in doing that, you aren't limiting your possibilities. You're actually expanding them because they're yeah. growing in the right direction. You're getting new constellations bursting out the way you want to go instead of more possible possibilities that are counter to that, that there's this phenomenon that I've experienced. And I know many people who have, and we actually talked about it at an own trail event the other day where oftentimes we're really good at doing something that we don't really like, but because we're really good at it, especially in a setting where we're getting paid for it, it becomes the bulk of our time. Yeah. Or paid or acknowledged in some way that equates to love in our minds. So it could just be the way we're doing something for family or friends that we're always doing for the, oh, you're such a great listener. Oh, let me hear all my 100 problems. You know, okay. Wow, I feel better. Huh, man, I need a nap. It's not just money. Yeah, when we're rewarded, our, our brains are wired for reward right? It's, it's been great for our survival as a species and also ooh, created some problems. And so if you are rewarded for something that you're good at, but you don't enjoy, who's in control in that situation? Like ultimately we have that control, but it takes you checking in with yourself to be like, I don't like this, or I don't have the time or energy to become great at this. So like, I'm going to say no. And that's how you find your next yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the whole intentionality about like what va- what matters to you and like rooting yourself that like this is this is a season and it can be a really hard, shitty season in ways and beautiful in others. But weathering the seasons is something that I'm I'm working on embracing more, mm-hmm. especially because like I want to know. I want to know what's the right next thing. Not the right. I want to know the next thing to do. Mm-hmm. I want to know how this this chapter ends. And getting comfortable in the discomfort is is a challenge that I'm always working on. And that I think as humans, like we're just not good at, we don't like being uncomfortable. So we try to end that mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. And sometimes there's a lot left on the table when we don't sit with that discomfort for a bit. And we're like, yeah, 
this does really suck. Like I have to think about where I have value. How do I feel about not hearing back from jobs? How do I feel like hmm, not being able to pay X bill? What is that actually, what is that feeling really about? Is it about money? Is it about something else? Which like there's a whole spinoff about like culturally we are messed up when it talks, when it comes to finances and money. It's so weird. You know, this record that I did is getting critically acclaimed. I mean, people are already calling it album of the year. That felt really good for the first time in my 20 year career, having a record people were hearing that did so much for my self-esteem. And then getting to the end of that, not being able to pay the bills just had exactly the opposite effect. And what was weird was a royalty check came in from that. And all of a sudden, like when I got paid, suddenly it was like, ah, I feel better. And I was like, okay, what is that? Why does money have the power over whether I'm depressed or not? whether I feel like I have value or like, you know, I'm, I felt like I was worthless at one point, like, you know, God, you know, I can't even pay the bills, you know, I must, and all those things. And I've, I've got enough tools now to, to recognize that and go, okay, yeah, this is the uncomfortable space that I'm sitting in. But I'm like, why does that get to have all the power? Why does that get to define who I am? The truth is it does. The truth is it, it does matter and it is important And so I started looking at like those areas of discomfort or depression or procrastination as signs that I needed to pay attention to something I was doing that wasn't working. And that was, that was the, the real kicker for me was I understood that any time that I went to sit down and edit and I wanted to do anything else other than editing, it was because I had stopped listening to my body when I was getting, my, my arms would hurt, my hands would hurt, my body would just get tense. It was the way I was showing up for my work. It just wasn't healthy for my body. So that part of my consciousness, my body was saying, fuck this, I don't want to do that. And then basically saying to the rest of me, like, you're not being nice, so I'm not going to cooperate. And that led to, and then, you know, of course, then I beat myself up. Oh, I can't get anything done. I have all this time. I should accomplish more, blah, blah, blah. And it's the self-perpetuating, self-defeating cycle that was happening. And I suddenly just realized, oh, okay, it's, it's actually okay to give myself permission to like get up and go outside because that is actually treating the whole me better. And then I actually get more done. And then I get to like, say like, okay, do, do, is all this editing that I'm doing like next time around when it comes time to say yes to that, can I like tweak that formula? Can I like say yes to it less or can someone else help me with it? Can I teach someone else to do it? Or does this even need to be done? Like, is this even something that like, maybe I should be doing something completely different with my time, with my energy, with my, you know, the truth was it wasn't even the part of the process that was making me any money. That was something that I knew needed to be done, that no one wanted the dirty work. No one wants to admit they need to be edited. No one wants to pay. So it's like I started to figure out, well, how can I make decisions that as a producer, as a manager who's saying, well, instead of me editing that for 12 hours, I'm just going to have you go practice for a week. And the next week we'll schedule a session that I get paid for and we'll re-record it. Like things like that. But when you're in the tunnel and it's all about, am I being good enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I making 
you know, I'm just procrastinating. I'm just a bad person. I'm just not enough. When you're in that mindset, it's so self-defeating and nobody's getting what they need. Yes. And it's this thing that, you know, there's a whole nother, again, another spinoff we could do about the self-care and wellness industry, industrial complex, really. But when we think about the phrase to put your own oxygen mask on first, like we get it intellectually. We're like, yes, we agree with it. But when it comes to practice, it's very, very hard. We know taking care of our bodies. We know sleeping well. We know giving time for play, joy, things we enjoy. Like we know they're good for us and that we should do them. And yet we're the first people to say no to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I don't have it figured out at all. And that's why I'm grateful to talk about it with folks like you, to learn from people, to continue these conversations because it isn't as much as our brains want us to trick us into, it isn't an individual issue. It manifests itself individually when we're saying, I'm not doing enough. I'm not working hard enough. I have to keep going. I have to push through it. I have to struggle. Um, That's us saying like, it's me. When ultimately it's a bigger thing. And, you know, there's this, there's this trail talk on, on own trail that I love. Um, there's a couple that are relevant specifically to this. And one is by Stephanie Monge, who's brilliant and amazing. And it's about rest as resistance. And this idea that yeah. rest in all of its forms, taking time off from work, uh, saying no, like rest in all of its forms is a form of doing something. It's an action. It's a choice. Like we have this idea of rest as doing nothing, but resting is a thing that we are choosing to do. And then um, just last week, Jyoti, uh, Jenny Patel was talking about the power of play and talking about the neuroscience of it and how like play makes us better communicators, more cooperative, and actually can level power dynamics in every setting mm. from a Fortune 100 conference room to a marriage or yes. with our children and how play is valuable socially, right? And as a society, but it's also like, it is good for us physiologically as humans to play. Like it actually changes our chemistry. It changes the state of our nervous yeah, system. Yeah, it takes us out of fight or flight, puts us into that necessary. restorative state. Yes. And what she, I did not know this until she just said this matter of factly. And I was like, of <laughs> course. But she said, she shared with us that play is a biological urge, just like hunger, thirst, lust. It is a biological urge. Yeah. And it's part of the reasons that we've evolved and we've survived as a species. And oftentimes like play, which I think you can, you can, you know, expand into so many creative things, but even like play by like going out and picking and blowing a dandelion buzz, right? But play or making a joke or lightening the mood, being silly. Like, it's the foundation of creativity and connection. We need it. It's the glue that helps us to. Yeah, but we we deprioritize it. We're like, we'll get we'll get to have fun when the job is. Oh done. my gosh! Spoiler: the job is never done. That's the trick of the job is it's never done. Yeah, there's always going to be something that has to be done, even if it's just around the house. I mean, they're endless. That was the big epiphany for me was the way that I was working in music. I had burnout on music itself the one thing that was like my one life goal that I loved so much. And it was just not fun anymore. And I finally said to myself, 
you know, you're, you're doing music. If you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. So like every time I gave myself permission to like get up, go outside, sort of reboot, and then come back in when I was ready to have fun, it just changed not only the process for me and how I felt at the end of the workday, but also it actually changed the yes. product. It changed the music. It changed the way that the audience enjoys it because the musicians are having fun. They're having community. They're interacting. They're exchanging. There's joy. There's fun. There's just this energy. And that goes into the music. That actually comes out at the audience. It somehow like ineffably affects the end result. And I come home and I'm happier with my kids. And I'm yes. more abundant when it comes to answering work emails and, and opportunities and things that come along, it changes everything. It's so true. It's, it's like a great conversation versus like, I think this is so, I don't know, everybody's got their tells, right? But I think you can tell like when people are on a Zoom call or whatever, and you're like, oh, they're, they're just checked out until it's their time to speak. Or like a conversation like this, where like people want, I mean, obviously it's a podcast, but like, this is just you and me. Like this is, this is a one-to-one, -one, like we are just jamming and in it. And that is attractive and it's generative and we're drawn to that energy and it refills us. And, um, it, you know, it makes me think again of what that, that page you opened up to and read, it's the species listening and calling back to each other, mm -hmm. right? And it creates something new. And that's what happens when we bring play, when we bring rest, when we have taken care of ourselves as people. And not necessarily in just like the way that involves buying things, right? It's not a bubble bath. It's not a massage all the mm -hmm. time. It can be those things. But sometimes it's just like taking a second to be like, wait, do I like this? How can I make this mm -hmm. more fun? Do I have to do the part I don't like? Mm -hmm. Okay, I do. How can I do that part less? And how can I work? How can I come up with a plan so I don't have to do it? Can I have dessert first? Absolutely. You're a grown-up. I get to right? make my own choices now. I'm going to have dessert first. Which is, that is a thing. Like, I, I eat breakfast in the morning, or I eat ice cream sometimes <laughs> in the morning because I'm like, I want ice cream. Like, nobody's going to tell me no. And also like, and some people grown adults and like, I'm 40 and I'll tell somebody my age, I'll be like, they'll be like, oh yeah, haha, that's like eating dessert in the morning. And I'm like, I had ice cream this morning. They're like, oh, you did? <laughs> wow. And I'm like, that is not, if, if you were impressed that I opened my freezer and ate ice cream from the pint, from like the little pint container, like you, your bar needs to get more raised. Cause guess what? You, it's, you can totally do that. But like, it's for some reason we've got this like, this weird thing that we need to like cosplay as grownups by following these <laughs> arbitrary rules. But like, guess what? If you eat your ice cream in the morning instead of at night, like I'm not a nutritionist, so please disclaimer this away. But like, I guarantee you, like you're probably going to yeah. be okay. Like the world will not fall into chaos because you did something <laughs> that brought you joy. It's so true. It's so true. My brother's kids are teens and they're like, oh, you actually eat ice cream? like for breakfast as a grown up, And I was like, yeah, I do. Cause I can. And it also like takes the edge off of having to do other things like endless laundry and looking at insurance uh -huh. plans. Yes. I'm going to eat the ice cream. 
I just think that that's so important in, in terms of creativity is like being allowed to break the rules because why not? It's all made up anyway. And sure, there's a result to eating yes. like ice cream every meal, but you know, you really, if you're just eating an ice, if you're going to eat an ice cream after dinner, but you have it for breakfast, I mean, unless you have diabetes, right? But that's, yeah. that's the thing. And, and, and ultimately it's breaking those patterns that somehow get you out of the rut sometimes, you know, maybe your pattern is I always eat ice cream for breakfast and it's time to try something like a walk or like, you know, climbing a tree. You know, it's it's about this novelty and this fresh approach to things that just sometimes I, I can't remember the the latest thing that happened for me that was like just a total left turn. I think it was when my brother reintroduced me to electronic dance music and I started composing that when I was like in my teens and I had gotten out of that for like 15 years and done a lot of folk rock and instrumental music and things like that. I'd completely gotten away from the synthesizer and I was bored with music. I didn't listen to music anymore and he played me Dead Mouse, and I was just like, a listener again. I was like, what is this? This is, it was so much fun to listen to. And I was, this was like, you know, in 2012 and I'm like, wow. And that was like, I didn't realize how disconnected I had gotten as a music listener. And here I am producing music. I didn't even like to listen to it. And that was so important. But I think that like, that's this idea that like, even though there are labels and pieces of our identity and, and, big chunks of our journeys, right? Chapters of ourselves that are things like a musician, a music lover, like it takes different forms across different parts of our lives. And that's awesome. But for some reason we get fixated and, and, and stuck on these, if I'm going to be a real music lover, I have to be liking this and trying new things and all of this. Or if I'm going to be a writer, this is one I hear from like my writer friends a lot. Am I really a writer if I haven't written anything this month? Mm. I mean, who's to say, are you a writer? Do you identify, do you write things? Then I think Have you're a writer. Have you written things? Nobody's... Sometimes it's like writing a bike. I mean, things that I didn't use for 20 years just come right back like yeah. that. Yeah. Exactly. And it can be different forms. You know, for me, I, I used to call myself a writer and now I say artist first because like I've shifted from my primary like format right now, my primary medium for my art is visual. It's mixed media collage. Um, but that doesn't make me not a writer when I go to writing as a primary form of expression. Like, like thing, things can change and like nobody's going to be watching your labels and be like, Stephen, mm -hmm. you haven't been listening to music lately. I think we need to take back your music lover's card. This is the label police. <laughs> right? Like, uh, excuse me, sir. Nobody's going to knock on your door and be like, may I see your Spotify history? <laughs> That's legit. I also love how you, how you timestamped the dead mouse just so that we knew you were not completely behind <laughs> on the curve. Like, by the way, y'all, it was it was 2012. So, and for the people who are just discovering dead mouse, great. but you know, I mean, in today's day and age, the history is so short. We forget a journey we're all on, and you know, God, my yes. my my son and I were talking about fax machines. And just remembering Ooh. like that most people don't know what that is. And, but that was like a journey that some people went through, you know, you happen to wait for the fax machine and, you know, you pick up the phone and it's like, <laughs> scream it. Yeah. I mean, just these things. Right. And, and. Payphones. Yeah. I'm trying to explain payphones to my almost four year old because she'll see them on like in 
some like animated film or in some books. And she's like, what's that? I was like, oh, it's a phone, it's a phone booth. And she's like, what's a phone booth? They, I was like, well, they go in there to make phone calls. And she's like, oh, because it's quiet. And I'm like, no, that's where the phone is. And she's like, <laughs> does not compute. Isn't the phone in your pocket? Um, and I'm like, how? I know. I'm like, how do I explain how this used to work? But those affect what we do. Those affect our choices. Just the fact that we used to have to carry change in case our pager went off and it was work. Like that is just not something. Now phone calls are practically free. We all have unlimited plans. and We can talk as long as we want. It's changed the scarcity of the phone call. And whole mm. generations have behaviors in society based on things like the payphone and, you know, phone calls. Yes. I mean, talk about creativity, right? Just phone language and phone decorum and the whole, um, the fact that there used to be teen lines and call waiting and star 69 and the whole pager language. And like, just thinking about, you know, like people are just like sending videos instantly back and forth to communicate or FaceTiming across the globe. And I'm like, we would, I also love that you reference pagers <laughs> as a way for work to get a hold of you. Because for me, it was just my friends and I sending like very unnecessary codes <laughs> to each other like we were important but i'm like yeah we used to write 143 and page it to our friends because it meant we i love you like we've come far i feel like i feel like human creativity was great then though to think mm -hmm. about like that's what we came up with you can't send words we have all these tools like canva and twitter and YouTube, we can make things so quickly with so little effort. And now like TikTok has editing built in when you used to need to be like a professional avid editor to know how to do any of that kind of stuff. So it's kind of it's it's accelerating the the it's accelerating how fast we can put things out there. But what isn't evolving as quickly as the inner architecture for all this? Mm. I want to hear more about the inner architecture, if you may. Yes. Well, so it's like being handed the keys to a Ferrari when you're learning how to drive. So suddenly I yeah. can publish, I'm 12, 13, and I can publish my thoughts to the world, but I don't know who I am yet. And it's like also someone can come on the other line and like send hate my way and they don't even know me, but it feels so personal. It's so close to the inner sanctum of myself. And, you know, it used to be that if you were going to like publish something in the newspaper, you know, you'd have to design an ad and buy, it was a whole process. And then it is it also separated you from the outcome a little bit. And you still had your, your own inner circle of real people that were there to love you and protect you that knew you. And now it's like, we're putting, we're putting our, our art, our heart out to total strangers and expecting that a like count or, you know, good comments are going to be our, our worth and our value. And, you know, it's just interesting. I'm not going to say it's better or worse because obviously we were all immature back in the pager days too, and had our own dramas and things like that. I'm just saying the potential for inadvertent damage is so high yeah. and it's something that society is still learning how to like in a zoom meeting when you have 12 people talking in a zoom meeting it's a lot harder not to interrupt someone if you have something to say versus if there are three or four people this the conversation is naturally going to flow a lot better when you get 36 people in a zoom meeting you're just trying not to like look weird 
in a, by accident. You know, you're trying not to interrupt. You're trying to kind of like, I'm trying to watch this like I'm in the audience, but I have a camera on me. It'd be like being in a talk show. But the whole time that Dr. Phil is talking, there's a camera on you as the audience member and they never leave. You know, we as a culture don't know how to handle this yet. So, And it happens so fast. I think that that's, that's such a such a powerful insight, right? And when it comes to putting out our own content, and I mean that, you know, in in every sense, especially when it comes to art or vulnerability or authenticity, most places aren't designed for that to be it, to be honored, right? And we're also, we can put it out so quickly, so easily, and in such volume that sometimes we don't think about the repercussions, the risks, or our intentions with it, right? And it becomes posting for posting sake, content for content sake. And that also just creates a lot of noise mm-hmm. too, right? Because everybody, people love, we've talked about it, people love recognition. And so like nobody is trying not to go viral until they do it for, and they don't like the results or it's for the wrong thing. And so people like it when they get that, like we get that dopamine kick when we get likes, when we are like, ooh, wow, I got retweeted. Wow. But also it makes us change how our motivation sometimes for what we put out. We think about how is it going to perform, not how is this serving me? How is this true to me? How is this? And, and for people who are seeking things of a certain kind of meaning or a certain kind of, um, vibe or audience or perspective, it makes it harder to find those in that sea. And it's why like, on our own trail. Like I, like we were like, no, no public light counters. Like, there's no way to yeah. know, like there's a way to appreciate trails, but we were really, really intentional. We were like, we're, we have this habit of liking things and it's valuable. Like, you know, when you, like when you shared about like moving into your house and you wrote about it so beautifully and I was just like, ah, oh, I'm overjoyed for you. And so we call it an appreciation, but it's like, I just want you to know, I see you. Yeah. And I appreciate that you shared that. And I appreciate this milestone for you. And also like, nobody else needs to know that, right? It's like me telling you that. I don't, you don't need to be like, have the universe and everybody on their internet be like, 16 people liked it when Steven moved into his house, but only three liked it when he got a new job. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, we're not force ranking our experiences. And I think sharing in legacy social media and with, with content online has gotten to the place where it is, it has become transactional value in a lot of ways and social currency in a lot of ways, instead of just being like, I'm a human, you're mm. a human, this resonated with mm. me and that can be value. It's not about the count. Um, and I think that that's, that's also powerful. Yes. Well, and you liked it. And so the, the human nature is if you have a like potential of a hundred is that seeing only one like is somehow bad. Like, but you talked about, I appreciate you. If you were in person, like sat down with me and like put your hand on my wrist and said, I think you did fucking awesome. That would be so profound. But then if you compare it to, well, a hundred people didn't like it, it's so impersonal and it's so not what the tool was meant to embody. Right. And it's the context too, because like we have these people in our lives that there's probably a handful of people that if they tell you they're proud of you, that's it. It doesn't matter if everybody else in the world criticizes you because it's not just quantitative. There's, there's context around it. These are relational, right? And so the idea that like, 
when I launch a podcast, if you give me positive feedback, if you appreciate it, I'm going to be like, wow, that means a lot versus like a stranger that I have no information about. Like I appreciate, like, I'm like grateful. I'm like, cool. It hit, it hit with you, but it doesn't mean the same. And I think that there needs to be more space for that online. Um, And especially when we're sharing about ourselves, right? Like our lives are ours and the ability not just to control who we're sharing things with and what, but the ability to be like, and I'm not just performing this. I'm not, I'm not just putting on my suit of who I am today to hope it entertains you. It's like about sharing truth. Yeah, or let's figure out what to talk about that people will actually click like on. So we can't talk about what we really right. want to talk about because that's not going to get the, yes. that's not the popular hashtag, you know. It's not going to do well with the algorithm. I learned this right? with music. Any band that I've ever produced who was trying to chase the trend ended up shooting themselves in the foot. Yep. You know, it was like this one band that they had electronic metal and we produced, we're going to get rid of all of our keyboards because that's not working. Well, it turned out Imagine Dragons broke the time they were trying to get signed. So if they just kept the keyboards and been authentic, they actually would have had a shot. You can't anticipate the trend. You still have to be, you still have yes. to be authentic to you. Well, and humans, like we're so conditioned to being marketed towards in this day and age, like we can tell when something is inauthentic. 100%. And if it's like, you know, it's clear often from the jump and it's even worse when somebody fools us into thinking that it's authentic and then we catch them. It's like, I remember their, what was it? Like the bad vegan, like scandal or whatever. It was somebody who ran like a vegan Instagram or whatever. And somebody was like, oh, I saw them at this butcher shop getting a charcuterie board with meat and sampling. And it was this huge scandal because they weren't actually you know, they were faking it wow. very well. And that's even worse. Wow. And it's just like, just, just you do you like back to the one right path. Like just do yours, focus on yours because this focus on trend chasing, performing for algorithms, fitting to a mold, following the right path. Like it's all distracting you from putting time, energy, and resources towards your path. So don't let it, I just tell people, I'm like, don't let it hijack your focus. And I, and I tell that to people, not because I've perfected it, but also because it's a good ass reminder to me because there's distractions everywhere and pressures. And I think it's kind of like an ongoing, we, we're, we're, we need to recondition ourselves as individuals, but as a society and really just challenge that notion that we have to really do anything. Mic drop. <laughs> I, you know, it's like fun. It's fun riffing uh, with you. And it's like, we're both extroverts. So things are going so fast. I hope the audience is keeping up. I really think one of those inner architecture things for me has been the mind hack of understanding. Okay. So while I'm having this conversation, we were talking earlier about the audience. If four people are impacted by our conversation today in a deep way, that is just as valuable as a thousand people hearing this. And that's one of the big shifts that you can make. Would I still be doing this if Katie and I are the only people hearing it? Is this still worthwhile? Is this something I'm still enjoying? And if you can answer that question, would I still write this book just because I'd like to write this book? 
Honestly, those are the books that tend to resonate with more people. And when I make records, it's the truth. You know, I the last record I made, there was no question whether or not I was working on that record, and it's getting appreciated. So yeah, does it feel good to be appreciated? Yes, but would I have made the record either way? It's like, you know, that inner architecture. And so I think with all these powerful tools, we have to learn how to really ground our mindset so that we can be powerful with these tools, so that we can be authentic with these tools and that we can make a genuine difference and still have a human connection, even though we're talking through screens, you know, that's, it's still basic human life skills. Totally. And it's, and it's easier because of community, right? Like it's this thing that you don't have to do it alone. And you, we do have tools that allow us to find our people like this, where we can be like, yeah, we're figuring out this inner architecture. We're building this new scaffolding. We're tearing down some of these, these old walls and, and ripping out the plumbing. Oh, cool. You are too? What kind of spackle are you using <laughs> for, your, for your healing? Um, and that, that can also be a, a, a use of it, right? Like, let's take advantage of technology in that way. And instead of the doom scroll, like my dream is for Own Trail to be a place where if if people are like, oh, I went on to check a notification, but I spent an hour, they're like, and I'm glad I did because I'm taking all this with me versus how most tech, you know, big tech and, and legacy social is built where it's, haha, we tricked you into spending an hour and we feel like shit mm-hmm. afterwards, right? And And part of that is seeding these connections where you can be like, this person will get that I'm on a rolling existential crisis. <laughs> Let's be best friends. Um, and you can jump to that. And that's enriching and adding value back to what you said. Like, um, you know, we're part of this movement called Authentech with, with Own Trail. And one of the, the values of it is something that I've, I've believed and spouted for a long time. And it's that it's one of the reasons I even became a tech founder is because I think that we can build successful businesses within capitalism that add value instead of building yeah. to extract it. And I'm like dead set to like make that a reality. And I think it's true in every aspect of life though. It's not just a business approach. It's a relationship approach. Like with, with the conversation we're having here and when I listen to the episodes that you have already, I'm like, Yes. Yes. And I'm yes. Anding in my headphones as I mm. listen, by the way, I was listening to the episode with the, with the stunt actor yeah. and I was like, yes, yes. And yeah. I want people to learn from each other, no matter if you're doing the same art form or not. Like, I think that that knowledge translates because ultimately we're all on a journey and we're all on a journey of self-discovery and like it or not, we're all kind of in business for ourselves. We're all kind of promoting ourselves in order to make our way in the world. And, uh, you know, the end for what you were saying was that, uh, you know, not only in business, but also in the personal space, it's like how you show up to the thing, you can actually shift the thing. So you can have a business that's extractive or you can have a business that's giving. And it's the same thing with I can work on music because I'm getting paid and I have to, or I can work on music, still get paid, but also enjoy myself. And it all starts internally. So it's that internal architecture of, you know, what it is that we're saying yes to and how it is that we're showing up for something. And that ultimately is, uh, it's tangible. People sense that. People get a feel for that. And so if you're on social media and you're genuinely being your true self, I think that other people are 
learning from you, getting something from you, even if it's just like, wow, how fucking cool that you're having ice cream for breakfast, right? You know, because that's maybe that's something that they wouldn't be brave enough to do because of all these reasons that are perpetuated by image and uh, the screens that we're looking, you know, that's the other thing to remember is we're just looking at the visual component of, in social media, it's very visually dominated. I'm an auditory person. So this is my home turf, talking, listening, sharing, and coffee shopping. I don't really prefer like when I have to be, you know, everything's on text, you know, that's no fun for me. So, you know, as, as a social media manager and a marketing person, you're doing a service to people who, you know, their home base is not being out there, being extroverted, putting a message out. But I, I really got a tangent before we get any further, because I know we're, we're getting short on time and I can't not ask this question. What was Katie like as a child? What did Katie want to do oh. when she grew up? You know, my first, my first desired occupation was to be an author, which at the time I just attributed only to writing fiction books because that's what I read mostly as a child. So like, I'm not far off from doing that. But like reading is my like first and foremost love language, probably seconded by the Muppets. Yes. Um, (laughs) I love the Muppets. Oh, when we were talking about social media, I do go on Twitter from time to time and do just like open up to do Muppet astrology (laughs) readings, which is something I made up, Um, but they're very fun. Um, So keep on the lookout for that if you want to. If you want some authenticity in your life. Um, but yeah, are like was, the signs, like, are they like Muppets? Like, is Kermit like a Leo? And how does this work? No, it's it's like a, instead of following the tra- traditional Zodiac, which I know very little about, except for Leos, because I'm a Leo. Um, it's saying it's your Muppet. And I use the whole Jim Henson Muppet <laughs> universe, not just the Muppet show, for those who are going to ask. Um, your Muppet. Sun, moon, and rising sign. Uh, I think I'm. A, so I think I'm a scooter rising. Oh yeah, <clears throat> you've got some. You have. Uh, you have some either Janice from <laughs> Doctor Tooth and the Electric Mayhem. You've got some of that energy in there, as well as maybe even a little Moki from uh, Fraggle Rock. Oh yeah, I love Fraggle Rock, and I mean that in the in the highest compliment. Um, but yeah, as a kid, I mean, I was really curious. You called me an extrovert earlier, which actually surprised me. I'm an extrovert and I'm very open and and sociable when I'm with my people, when I'm in when I'm in the jam, right? When I'm when I'm in my element and and feeling safe and respected and intrigued. Um, but I'm actually an introvert. And so cool. I was very shy uh as a kid. I was interested in all of the things, just as likely to be playing sports as I was. Uh, skipping out from recess and hiding in the library to read. Mm. Um, and I just like, I wanted to eat the world. I just wanted to experience <laughs> all the things, to ask all the questions, to, Same here. to know all of the things. And I think that that has not, that hasn't gone away at all. Um, and I'm really grateful to be owning that and living like that now, instead of mm. trying to curb it like I did for so much of my adult life. Mm. Trying to trim that back into the, you know, into the acceptable boxes and paths. And now I'm just like, I don't know. I don't want to live here anymore. Let's move to Atlanta. 
Right. I want to work for myself. Great. Let's try that. Um, I don't want to wear the business casual uniform. So I'm only going to wear jeans and jorts to work. <laughs> and if I need to be professional, I'll figure that out later. What was I read on your own trail that like your act of rebellion was putting on a uh, superhero t-shirt underneath your business suit at a meeting? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, when I worked in education, yeah. it, very good memory. Yeah. I would have to wear like a pantsuit to our board meetings. Right. And like, I get it. I respect the quorum and I understand, you know, image and all of that. But I was just like, you can't fully box me into a limited pantsuit. And this was like 2007, y'all, just to date this. So I was like, ooh. And I had a bright pink streak in my hair at the time. And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see just how far I can go without getting any, like, warning. <laughs> and, I, and I rode that line. I rode that line well. Isn't it funny how we sort of, like, have to have these little internal ways to kind of, like, warm ourselves up to the big leaps that we're making outwardly? But it's yeah. it's important. Those those steps are important. Totally, and and it's interesting because we don't often realize that we've been doing that until we've already taken the, until we finally taken the leap, and we're like, oh, that's what that was about. I was I was I was inching because I needed to test the waters, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes the big leap you can take like right away, and sometimes you've got to dip your toe, maybe put your whole foot in, dry it off, and wait, and that's all right too. Yeah. And then sometimes life will just throw you into the big waters and then you learn, you know, what you're made of. And hold it's, you down it's for a little of, while. Yeah. It's kind of a combination of all these things. And I think that's what's so beautiful about it. You know, that's that's and that's what's so cool about own trail or like mapping your trail is like there were these things. There were these times where we couldn't go outside for two years. And that formed us in a way that we would have never anticipated in 2019. You know, there, there, there are these, that was the before times and this now, now there's new challenges on the way. And who are mm-hmm. you meant to be in this coming world? Who, how, who are you meant to be in your community? Who you're meant to be you, you're meant to shine, you're meant to be who you are and that is needed. So how do we yes. allow ourselves to notice who we're becoming to see who we always are, who we always were. And isn't that really just the essence of being human? Mm -hmm. We're all just out here trying to figure it out, making it up as we go along and constantly changing. It's this, it's this living as like being alive is the, the act of becoming, right? Yeah. I relate to when I was a kid, like my mom said, that why was my favorite question. So I can I, I can relate in that way. I was also, and then Johnny Five from Short Circuit, input. It's like I wanted to know everything about the world. And somehow that's playing into me. I did this, um, uh, one of the guests that I had was a, a career counselor, and she talked about how they look at people's aptitudes. And so mine was like artistic, investigative, and social. And investigative is the part that I'm doing on the podcast, which is exploring all these connections between different ways of life and different ways that people, but what is really underneath the hood? What is it we all have in common? What is it that we all share? Mm -hmm. And it's like knowing that about myself, it feels good. feels good to say like, wow, that's actually like something that that's a part of who I am and I'm meant to be that in the world. And that's... And I don't have to, to, be, to be find as an artist, I don't have to be like, you know, wearing funny hats and, you know, making 
strange paintings all day. I want I want you to do Gallagher style comedy. <laughs> I want that to be the box that you feel like you've got to fit into. Weird Al is my spirit animal. <gasps> Weird Al. We share a birthday, speaking of astrology. So interesting. Oh, what's what sign are you to? Well, so zero degree Scorpio Libra cusp, like right on the day that changes into Scorpio. So apparently he's like really intense when it comes to work, like in the studio trying to get, you know, everything. He has to re-record every song he ever parodies and just the detail with which he like creates exactly the way it's supposed to sound. And, you know, very, very like work for 12 hours. That's how I am, too. When I get into that mode, like I'm very dedicated, laser focused. Um, but you know, just sort of outwardly, like, I don't know, I like as a kid, I was just a goofball, you know, and I was also very socially awkward and very, a very hard time connecting with, you know, that's the other thing too, I would say about society and the rising feminine is that for me now to realize that like all of my kind got beat up when we were kids for being too nerdy. And then there was sort of this nerd culture that arised with, uh, you know, uh, Felicia Day and uh, uh, Will Wheaton. And, you know, like it was sort of like, and now that's cool. And now everybody's like, hey, I love Marvel and I love comic books and I I love Nintendo. And it's so funny. Now they're remaking all the movies for that. It's so interesting to see how the things that I was as a child that made me ostracized and different are now the things that are needed. And one, it feels gut. Two, it's like, what took everybody so long? Like, how was it that we can't like, and just to like, see how society is, it is changing. It may feel like there's so much that's still not right. And that is very true. But I really feel the difference of like where the change has happened and where community has gotten easier to find. And just like you said, finding your tribe, finding where you fit, finding where you're needed. And I feel like that is, you know, one of Maslow's basic human needs. You need to find a place where you're needed. You need to find a place where you find like people and you you matter and you can interact and connect. So I would say that if you if you haven't found that, places like Own Trail are a phenomenal place to start. There are many, many online communities that are spreading out and you can meet people. And yeah, Zoom's not in person, but it's definitely a start. And just to feel what it's like to be with your people and to be and with yourself and expect and yeah, accepted right. and with yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I loved it when you were talking about as a child, like, you know, and you're like, it feels good to have those things valued. And I could also hear in your voice, those are the things that you love the most about yourself. Yes, and I do now. You feel like, and you feel like you can. And I think that that's, that's amazing, right? And it's really where you're able to find your people because you know your inner architecture, you know who you are, where you've been how even your relationship to those traits changed Mm. over time from being a kid ostracized. And like, I was a kid who never, in in high school, like I wasn't unpopular, but I was not popular, but I just moved between groups because even then I didn't fit into one box. I could kind of chameleon with my way around. Oh, 100% me. And people were like, oh, what were you, like, what were you like in high school? I'm like, I don't know, name a day. And (laughs) like, I used to view that as like, because I didn't fit in because I wasn't this enough or that enough. And I was like, oh no, because I was a little bit of everything. And that's pretty cool. I was my own like coat of many colors, right? Yeah. 
Got to bring the, Dolly the, in. Leaning, leaning into the and for sure, because that to me also played into the career problem, which was, you know, okay, what job description title do I put at the top of my resume? And, you know, what it was like was, you know, early on in my career, it was like, you know, people would say, well, don't be the jack of all trades and master of none. Well, it's like now I'm the master of three trades and the jack of many as well. And it's like, okay, but somehow that's needed. And just because the linear working world is not imaginative enough to see you in a different role or see you putting value in a different way, they're not, they're not supposed to see that. You have to do the work to see that within yourself so that when there's an opportunity that's a full body, yes, you know how to show up and you know how to say, I'm that, I know how to do that. I would like doing that. And, the, you know, like, thank you for the, thank you for the acknowledgement about the self-growth. That was a 18 year process. That was a healing journey. That was a hero's journey, healing journey of much change and many things that I haven't put on my trail yet, like religious deconstruction and uh, dropping out of college, I believe is on there. But just, you know, I, I believe I had PTSD for like six or seven years at one point and there was so much to dismantle in terms of beliefs about myself beliefs about the world in relation to myself you know the world is out to get me the world is hostile it's all, i mean you know not that i want a tangent on this but i'll touch real briefly i mean being male growing up in a hypermasculine society means that you're constantly under threat like my belief was that every other male that I ever saw that was in my age group was going to try and beat me up because that was my experience. And so, you know, this, this patriarchy thing, it hurts everyone, you know, it hurts men too. And so, yeah, I had to like really reframe my own beliefs about the world around me. And it was informing how I would interact with people and it was informing my own self-worth. So it was, it was, you know, it was a big, big, healing journey that I had to go on to get to the place where I started to understand and can look back at who I was as that goofy kid and say, I really love Stephen. He is valuable. And that's the work I do still. I mean, every day I have to love little Stephen and help him through his anxieties and his, you know, growth points and fears and and yeah, but I, I ultimately, I could not have done that without community, without finding tribe. Those are the people who saved my life. Those are the people who helped me reframe in reflecting like you're doing with me now, helped me reframe how it was I saw myself because I could not do that without community. I could not do that in a vacuum without someone saying to me, well, here's how I see you or here's how we love to interact with you. Here's what we just value about you so much. You're good at this. You're kind. You're, you know, it's important to embrace your feminine side. There's nothing wrong with that. Like those were the things that actually helped me to step out of the trauma and the damage that had been done. And that's why community is uh, even online is so very important. And so many people lack it at this time. So, you know, thank you for building own trail, you and Rebecca and, you know, sharing that work with the world. And 
Well, thank you for building it with us because it's not just us and we're co-creating it. And, you know, I can't, uh, this was a fabulous conversation and, and one I know of many to come that will not be always recorded, um, but very much like a beacon out to people to join us, like to join that party, right? And and to embrace themselves and love their inner insert first name, right? Their, their young self. And I still stand by what I said at the beginning that that's going to change the world because you are proof that we all contain so many ands and we all contain revolutions and they don't all have to be televised. Sometimes the most powerful ones are the ones we have in ourselves. Hmm. And thank you so much for sharing those and having me here to chat with you about them today. Where can people who choose to be on social media connect with you there? I'm most active on Twitter, um, but on all the socials, I am at K to the T with underscores to make it complicated and annoying. So at K underscore T-O underscore T-H-E underscore T. Um, and you can find me on Own Trail all the time. I won't even, you, you don't have to actually even look hard to find me there. I'm all around. Ontrail.com. Correct. Ontrail.com. And we'll put all this in the show notes. So if you also reference the book that I read, and it was called The Music Lesson by Victor Wooten, I'll reference that in the show notes and anything else that you mentioned. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that you haven't gotten the opportunity to? Maybe a last thought you'd like to leave everybody with? I think we covered so much. Um, and I would actually encourage people. First of all, I, I wrote down that book name when you read from it. I was like, hold on need to read this. Um, I would encourage people to look at your trail and to get to know more about this, the, the voice, the heart, the brains behind this podcast and, and hopefully appreciate what you're putting out into the world in a different perspective. Um, you know, and not because it's on the platform I'm co-founding, but because it's just a beautiful journey of a beautiful person. And I can't wait to see where it's going. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'll be sure to update the trail when whatever this next phase of my life reveals itself, I have a good feeling about it. And it might be a ride to buckle up for. <laughs> but sometimes those ones land in the best places. Yeah, well, there's so much I would have loved to have covered, but uh, just wonderful to meet with another beautiful soul and to share with the world about Own Trail and about your work. Next time, I'd love to have a conversation about marketing. That would be really fun, too. Ooh, yes. Yes. Come in. Thank you so much for joining us on the Language of Creativity podcast. Katie McBratney, you can find her on Own Trail, which she co-founded, and on Twitter. Thanks again for your time and your absolutely amazing Muppet astrology. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. If you like our show, please be sure to leave us a review, share with your friends, and subscribe. This is the Language of Creativity Podcast. <laughs>